Welcome to the Gateworld Podcast. You are listening to episode number 11 of the Gateworld Podcast. This week we're talking about The Queen, last Friday's brand new episode of Stargate Atlantis. We'll also give you a preview of our upcoming interview with actor Gary Jones from Stargate SG-1. And of course, we'll run down lots of Stargate news and special features over at GateWorld. We've just returned from 10 years into the future, and you really ought to be more careful. The GateWorld podcast starts right now. My name is Darren Sumner, and with me once again is David Reed. David? Hello! I'm speaking through ones and zeros because my internet is not so good, so hello! You sound a little bit digitized to me, but that's okay. Yes, yes. You may just be an artificial intelligence, for all we know. For all you know, that's exactly right. You sure get a lot of work done for being an artificial intelligence, though. But don't all AIs get a lot of work done? Yeah, intelligence in air quotes. (laughs) (laughs) Stargate News. Here are your headlines for GateWorld for September 16th, 2008. Fans of Stargate Atlantis aren't letting the show go without a fight. As we've talked about in previous episodes of the podcast, fans of the show from all over the world are writing letters, sending in lemons, and even holding a protest rally outside the Bridge Studios last Friday. One online petition has gathered over 16,000 signatures so far. Read more on the fan efforts over at GateWorld, or visit the two Save Atlantis campaign websites to get involved. That's save-thelostcity.com and SOSGA.net. The first look at the new bad guys from the upcoming Stargate Atlantis two-parter is here. Visit GateWorld to see the first pictures of the new race, which shows off a group of warriors covered in advanced armor. We don't know much about them, but they will make their first appearance in the September 26th episode, First Contact. Season 4 of Stargate Atlantis kicks off in U.S. syndication this week. If you live in the States, check your local listings to find out when Adrift will be airing in your local area. We'll have the complete broadcast schedule for the 2008-2009 syndication season up later this week. Stargate World's publisher Firesky will give away much of the game's ongoing expansion content for free to the massively multiplayer online role-playing game's subscribers. Studio head Dan Elgren talked about plans for the game in a new interview with Videogamer.com. He said the studio is already working on some of the bonus content that will be available after the game is released in early 2009. While large expansions such as Atlantis would be sold in a box, Firesky wants players to get new content for their monthly subscription and not just patches and fixes. Looking ahead to 2009, the third Stargate television series is gearing up to begin filming. The two-hour pilot episode of Stargate Universe will go before cameras on February 4th, 2009 according to MyEntertainmentWorld.com. As with its predecessors, the new series will film at the Bridge Studios in Vancouver, British Columbia. Stay tuned to GateWorld for breaking news on the cast and crew of the new show, when that information is announced. Universe will premiere next summer on the Sci-Fi Channel. GateWorld Features And speaking of the new series, we're proud to officially open the doors on GateWorld's Stargate Universe Launch Center. 
Check out GateWorld.net slash Universe for the latest news, interviews, special features, and more from the upcoming spinoff. We've also started the Season 1 Episode Guide, which will track all of the info that we know about the premiere and other upcoming episodes. Along with the new section is our editorial on five ways to make Stargate Universe awesome. Give it a read, then join the conversation and tell us what you think. Our new interview with actor David Nickel is now up at GateWorld.net. David plays Dr. Radek Zelenka on Stargate Atlantis. He updates us on the production of the final episodes of the series, and we discuss episodes we would love to have seen, and also the first Atlantis television movie. Also coming to the site this week is our very first interview with a face regular to Stargate SG-1 for 10 years. Gary Jones played the gate technician Chief Master Sergeant Walter Harriman. That's a mouthful. For more than a decade, and we finally caught up with him this summer at GateCon. Gary tells us about the origins of his character's name, bringing depth to his character in episodes such as Heroes, and playing the technician in the stage production Starhole. Here's a sneak preview. As much as Don worked, when we when we wrapped each episode, he'd go, he'd go, when are you working? Are you in the next uh, episode? Because he knew that if more than likely if I was working, he was working. Right. Because he didn't know, you, right? You lived in his domain. I totally you know, lived control in his room. domain. And I had no idea. I, I, I was on a day-to-day... Episode to episode, I uh, had no idea. I could, yeah. I, I could have been in like every episode or none. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just used to get the call going mm-hmm. uh, from my agent saying, "Oh, you know, are you the next episodes from here to here? Are you mm-hmm. available?" Right. Yes. Exactly. Yes, I am. Yeah. Don working? Is Don working? If I'm working, Don's working. That's Don's, right. Is Don's working? I'm working. If I'm working, Don's working. It was like <laughs> we were always like that. Visit GateWorld this week for the complete video interview. And new photos are now up for several upcoming episodes of Stargate Atlantis. This past week, we've added new photos for Tracker, First Contact, The Lost Tribe, and Outsiders. We also have the very first pictures from episode 15, Remnants. Point your browser to StargateGallery.com to check them out. And of course, beware of spoilers. The main discussion. Our main topic of discussion is, of course, The Queen, Taylor's big episode for the year. Um, David, what do you think of the episode overall and, and Taylor's character? You know, um, when Alan McCullough mentioned this story to us, mm-hmm. I was like, you know, that's going to be really cool. Because one of my favorite things from season one was seeing Rachel Luttrell in the Wraith makeup. She looked beautiful in that. And it's one of the disappointing things about this episode. I was hoping that they would bring that specific makeup palette back, and they didn't. Mm. They went with something like a lot darker. Um, which was fine, but uh, episode overall, I was very impressed. Um, as you know, I'm a spoiler phobe, so aside from Taylor being portrayed as a queen in the episode, I knew nothing about what what else was going on. Yeah, I didn't know that they were trying to uh, convert the wraith into beings that would no longer have to feed on humans anymore, so I thought that was pretty fascinating. And, frankly, I thought it was Rachel Luttrell's uh, best performance to date. Really? Aside from giving Aside from giving birth, of course, you know. Um, so, what about you? I, I would have to agree. I think that this is my favorite Taylor episode. There was some really cool stuff with Taylor's character, like you said, at the end of season one in the episode called The Gift. We, we find out that she's got some Wraith DNA because the Wraith experimented on her uh, or, or remind me, the Wraith did some genetic experiments on her specifically or just on, on her ancestors? On her ancestors. She was a part of a chain. So she had inherited some Wraith DNA after a few generations. 
I think that's the case, yes. And so we get some really cool things where she's she's coming to grips with who she is, and there's a lot of a lot of identity stuff in that episode where she's having nightmares that she wakes up as a wraith. And I was hoping to see some of that in, in this episode. That's that's the one thing that I wish it had was a little bit of Taylor struggling over who she is because she is her own worst enemy now. When she looks in the mirror, she she sees a wraith, which is... I mean, as an Athosian, she's been running and hiding from the Wraith and fighting the Wraith for her entire life, so you've got to think that that's, that's a bit traumatic. Yeah, you know, and I wish we could know, I mean, about her fears, you know, I wish we could know what's clicking around inside that uh, gorgeous Athosian head, you know, I mean, we just really don't explore her very much. I mean, that, that was one of the things that was great about this episode. You know, we got to use her in an episode, but in terms of, like, internal struggles for her, we really didn't get a chance to pop open that mind and, and have a look inside, you know? I mean, unless you feel differently. No, I agree. I think that, that uh, that's one thing that would have made this episode even stronger. I think it's a good episode, but one thing that would have made it stronger is that that internal dialogue for Taylor. Uh, you can't help if you're a Star Trek The Next Generation fan. I think you can't help but compare this episode to the Season 6 Next Gen episode, Face of the Enemy. Face of the Enemy. I was just looking at that right now and yeah. was going to bring it up. And this was an episode where um, Counselor Troy, the, the teaser is great. Counselor Troy uh, wakes up and the room is dark and she doesn't know where she is and she calls for the lights and, and the lights don't come on so she gets up out of bed and, and finds her way up to a to a mirror and turns the lights on and she's been transformed into a Romulan. Mm-hmm. And that's that the was shock. a great episode. Yeah. And there are a lot of similarities in, in this episode. I think uh I think I can make only positive comparisons in how they're similar, uh, story wise. But I think Face of the Enemy, if I'm remembering it right, at least in that opening shock of seeing herself, there was a little bit more internal horror over having been transformed into her enemy. Yeah. What I remember most strongly about Face of the Enemy, I'm I'm watching Taylor, you know, go bloodthirsty against the other hive, and I'm remembering Troy um, uh, say that she was going to destroy the Enterprise, Mm -hmm. you know? And, I mean, just taking on the persona of the Tal Shiar, who who are a group of, uh, of just malicious Romulan soldiers... You know, and I bought that performance uh, uh, as Taylor because you know you could see Todd's perspective when he turns to her and she says, "You're trying to kill Wraith, aren't you? You're just you're you're not being very nice anymore." <laughs> <laughs> There's a few acting moments that I can't quite pin it down if it's Taylor acting like a Wraith trying to really get into character, or if it's Rachel really getting into character, uh, and I wonder how much this is a difference between Rachel and Taylor and their perspective on playing a wraith. It's basically what Taylor's doing. She's an actress. She's playing a wraith in this episode. And it's when she acts really, really wraith-like when she doesn't have to. She's got the mannerisms and the threatening tone of voice and sort of the, the turn in her head where she's talking with Todd. The one that I'm thinking of right now is at the end of the episode when Todd is escorting her off the ship and she stops mm. him and, and basically... Um, threatens him that he needs to carry through with getting getting the alliance ready to receive this treatment or she's going to come knocking. Uh, and she's mm-hmm. not Taylor in that exchange. She's full-on Wraith. And I, I gotta wonder, is that Rachel trying to maintain the full-on Wraith Queen persona? Or was that a decision that Taylor made? Or was it maybe 
was it maybe an influence of having become a wraith? The wraith that, genes. That the, the wraith genes are, are, you know, affecting Taylor's personality. Mm-hmm. That's what a very good point. I was, I was very impressed with that scene. Um, that was probably my favorite scene out of the entire episode because she, she knows at this point that she has Todd over a barrel. And uh, he put her there. And by golly, yes, she's going to take that because she is essentially the queen of his, of his alliance now. And that, you know, that's one of the things, once again, you know, why, oh, why can't we have a season six? You know, that would be, that would definitely be explored in the following, in the following uh, uh, season. And if it is explored in the movie, it's only going to be an itty-bitty segment, just like Taylor, frankly. I don't know. I sure, I sure hope that this, this storyline of trying to, trying to uh, get, Todd to follow through on his word and, and what are the implications and, and effects of now Todd being in control of this big Wraith alliance. I hope we see that play out more. Um, we know Todd's coming back again in season five, so we may see a little bit more, but if, if it is left until the movie, hey, I want to see Todd become an uber bad guy and all pretense of an alliance with us is over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you don't think that'd be cliche? Oh, no, because of who Todd's character is, he's entirely self-motivated, I think. So he's mm-hmm. there's the implication in this episode that, that he may have never had any intention to disseminate Dr. Keller's treatment, but was using Taylor and using our team to gain control of the Alliance, that he mm-hmm. had this whole thing planned out the whole time. And if that's the sort of thing that Todd is doing, and he's he's now super powerful with all these ships at his command. I think it would be totally in character for him. I'd like to go back to the uh to the the attack between the hives and her uh her uh yeah, the 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 exchange of fire between the hive ships, you know. That's mm-hmm. one of the things that disappoints me about this about this character that she is she is so shallow in terms of character depth. I I don't even know how she feels about other Wraith, you know? She was buddy buddy with Michael, and you know you'd, you'd think that she'd hate them as much as Ronan because they have killed her family. Mm-hmm. And even though she is a little bit of a wraith, just a teeny tiny percentage of her DNA is wraith. You know, they'd think you'd think that we'd we'd explore that duality there. When when she starts to attack uh, the other hive, you know, for no really good reason other than to show her power. You know, I would have loved to have known what Taylor was thinking. I would have loved for a ref- uh, an introspective scene to to start looking in the chinks of her armor and start seeing who this woman is. But instead, we just don't get it. You know, we don't under- we don't un- know how she feels about the the other wraith. We don't know about how- what her true intentions were in that scene. We never find out. I think that's a good point. Uh, with Ronan, you know, even though Ronan's been on the show for a year less, I think we we know much more how Ronan feels about the wraith. He's pulling out his gun every time that there's an opportunity. Uh, every time he's within arm's length of a wraith, he's basically grabbing it and choking it or throwing it up against a wall. Uh, if Ronan was in this situation, he would probably have have done everything he could to kill as many wraiths as possible, and then he would have set the self-destruct and walked off the ship. Yeah. Uh, but Taylor doesn't do that. Uh, so you're right. I think with Taylor, it's like the wraith are, are almost a, a, a faceless force. They're like a hurricane. They have to be dealt with um, more than I think Ronan's perspective is is to maybe go on the attack more and and aggressively kill them. 
Yeah, that's been another one of the the, the things that have that have been hard to swallow with the, with the wraith being the big bad guys. You know, they don't have we don't know who they are as individuals. You know, they are this this force like the Borg. You know, I, I hate going back to Star Trek references, but you know, it's it's my bread and butter. But uh, you know, I mean, they're they're just there. <laughs> yeah, but you know, this Wraith episode, I think, is is one of the best of the series, because I have gotten so used to the Wraith being a, a non-entity. They're just kind of the generic bad, and we get into trouble with them, and we find ourselves running and gunning with our P90s through a Wraith hive ship or a Wraith lab, or whatever. It just has become so generic. And so, we don't really s- ever see their side of it, you know? Yeah, the Queen really episode, gave us their side. We see their side. We see. We hear a lot more about their culture and how they operate, kind of on an animalistic level from Todd. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think this episode was, was much, much better for the Wraith than we've seen in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. What do you think about uh, about how their their uh, society is structured? You, you think it's kind of obvious and generic, or do you think it was clever? I don't know if it was particularly clever or original, but it makes complete sense to me um, because okay. they evolved the way that they did from insects, uh, and they've always been really hive-minded. Uh, it makes sense to me that they're sort of uh, they have sort of a a base uh, animalistic culture uh, and mm-hmm. values, and mm-hmm. uh, they're kind of almost cavemen-like in how they treat each other. Yeah, you know we we've always i mean we were told i can't remember which episode it was but like all hive ships you know are basically they answer really to no one except themselves you know in ter- unless there's like an alliance where some of them come together like wolves to attack an enemy yeah there's um, no central th- wraith high command yeah and then all of a sudden in this episode they bring out the primary you know for an alliance um and it was kind of like uh, okay you know, it's like it's like season eight with Dakara. Why didn't you ever tell us about this planet before? Um, but uh, you know, you know, it, it, it yeah. did it did it did its job, and that was that was cool. Now, speaking of the primary, I loved as much as we love Andy Frizzell, and you and I have met her and had dinner with the woman. Um, Andy Frizzell's played all the Wraith queens throughout the history of the series. Um, I loved this actress and the fact that they got a different face to play the primary. I was very, you know, I I kind of felt bad for for thinking that yes, I do like this one, but I I have to say I did like her portrayal, you know. Mm-hmm. I uh, I was a I was a fan of her. Mm-hmm. I think that that was interesting makeup that they put around her. I, I, did you notice that chin? That was a cool chin, you know. I'm not sure if that's the actress or you know if they just decided to go with a little bit different uh, style of of makeup, but that was a very powerful face that she had and one that I wasn't exactly expecting. Very insect like. I don't know. I was looking at the hair. I thought the hair was was very uh, regal and majestic. This wasn't just a queen. This was really a queen of queens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was a little disappointed that they knocked her off so early. But yeah. uh, then I realized what uh, I realized what they were going for, what they were doing. So yeah, Todd's always sense. got something up his sleeve. Of course. Now going back to Taylor's makeup job, um, you've got to wonder if this is just cosmetic surgery, like transforming Counselor Troy into a Romulan, or was this some sort of genetic transformation? And the whole episode, they kinda, I thought yeah. that it was just cosmetic surgery, and, and we were just relying on her latent wraith DNA to, to trick the other wraith. Uh, but then we get at the end this, this exchange about the fact that it's been two weeks, and 
she's not on solid food yet, and she's having to drink these concoctions that Keller is, is creating. So that tells me that, that maybe the surgery wasn't just cosmetic surgery, but they were actually transforming her biologically into a wraith. Yeah, it's one of the things that I was asking myself. Why did they deliberately skip over that explanation? You know, why weren't they willing to decide? Why weren't they willing to reveal that to us? What what she went through? You know, and I couldn't understand why. But it does go a long way to explaining things like uh, her, as I said earlier, her her persistently wraith like uh, mannerisms and tones when she's talking with Todd, and doesn't have to act like a queen. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Because she's, I, I think she's not just playing a wraith; she is a wraith. Now that now that she's a wraith, you know, maybe she'd want to stay a wraith. Maybe she'd really want to take over as a queen because now she is a wraith. If that's the case, maybe there's a struggle between her wanting to stay as as she is now, a new powerful being, a more powerful being, or returning to her old life and to her husband and son. Mm. We little, just, we just, yeah, we just don't go there. You know, Superman three, Taylor on Taylor. Battle. I I never saw that. <laughs> Taylor Taylor does get taken for granted, and we asked in our listener question last week what people thought of Taylor because there's always a lot of conversation about the fact that she is kind of underused. She's been in the last four years. She's for the most part been kind of a background support character on the show, and there are a lot of Taylor fans out there who are are upset about that and upset about the fact that she doesn't get used more. She doesn't get developed more. And on the other side, there are some some people who are not fans of Taylor who just want her to be gone. Yeah. Well, you have to ask yourself, just how much does she contribute to a story? And if they have to force themselves to find ways to add her involvement in the story, then it's not coming from an organic place. And if it's not coming from an organic place, then maybe she needs to get cut. Yeah. You know? Deadless Variations, I think, is a good example of that, where it... Okay, you could kind of see that Major Marks had had taught her how to run the ship, but it still felt a little forced. And here, the Queen, I think it's just utterly natural. Yep, yep, that makes that makes a whole lot of sense. You know, it's it's just it just fits like a glove because this is this is a part of her genetics. This is part of what she is, and she uh, goes out to fulfill it. You know, I also um, I also felt a lot of. Uh, 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 thinking back, well, this is now season five of Atlantis, and I remember an episode of season five of SG One, which is one of my favorites to this day, my favorite two-parter, Summit. Um, and Summit is where Daniel goes behind the scenes and discovers more about the Goa'uld culture. Mm-hmm. And I've felt a huge parallel between that episode and this one, you know, and it was um, it was kind of nice. Yeah. And, you know, on the topic of, of wallpaper and, and supporting background character, um, Teal'c on SG-1 was was called a wallpaper character for a lot of years because he would just stand behind the team and say, indeed, in a lot of episodes. And it was season five of the show when he got episodes like Threshold that really fleshed him out as a character. And, and then in season six, he starts to come out of his shell a lot more. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, who knows if, if uh, Atlantis had gotten to season six or, or more, maybe Taylor would have been one of those characters that we would have finally gotten to know a lot more about. Well, you know, I, in growing up with SG-1, you know, and I, I may have just been naive at that point, but it never occurred to me that, that Teal'c was underutilized because the war 
with the Jaffa and the Gould was raging on, and Teal'c was an emissary of the Jaffa. Mm-hmm. For Tela, you know, everyone in the Pegasus Galaxy is food. So Tela's not very special from an organic place. She's just uh, the leader of the first planet that they visited in that galaxy, who kind of tagged along. Yeah, you know? versus something like if we would have seen an episode like The Gift and established her genetic connection to the Wraith, and then in season, maybe early season two, had an encounter with a Wraith who said, says something to Taylor like, you're very special to us, we have plans for you. That would mm-hmm. radically change the nature of the character. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like what they did with Vala, you know? They gave Vala a very deliberate um, excuse to, to join SG-1. And, um, you know, I think that really helped that character. You know, it gave her a reason to be there. And with Taylor, to this day, I mean, I'm, I, I, I love Rachel Luttrell. I really do. But I'm just trying to figure out why, you know? And some fans can hate me for saying that, but that's how I feel. Why what? Why she's there. Why she's there. Hmm. Yeah. If this were a real military situation, I don't think she would be. And Richard Woolsey would be sitting down with her and saying, what are you contributing to this team here? What do you really do? You know, and I'm sure there are situations where, because if she couldn't answer, then she would be axed. Um, if, if, with any, in any kind of situation where they're devoting assets and resources to, to team members. You know. I'm sure there's a lot of off-world trade that goes on that we're just supposed to assume that is happening that we never see that she is directly involved with. But other than that, you know, mm-hmm. I, have to, I have to ask myself, okay, why then? Well, a lot of her uniqueness on the team and what she brought as the the emissary of the Pegasus Galaxy was, I think, supplanted by Ronan in season two. In season mm-hmm. one, it seems like she had a lot more to do. Uh, and, yeah. and when you add Ronan into the mix, I love his character and, and what he adds to the team. But it, it sort of shortchanges Taylor even further in, in what role mm-hmm. she has to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. I was going to go somewhere with that, but uh, oh, you know, and it's 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 other little things like you know in the in the pilot of Atlantis, you know, it was established that Taylor's a very fast runner, and she you know she has these magical abilities, you know, it's like the whole thing with the the wraith uh, ghosts, and she's able to see through the ghosts, and she's able to run faster than Shepard is, and that was supposed to be become a part of that character, you know, and then it never never materialized, mm. it just kind of left it. Do you have anything else to say about the Queen, or shall we move on to overall? In terms of Wraith episodes, the Queen, I have to agree with you, was was definitely one of the better ones. You know, I thought it was I thought it was a very well achieved episode, and it shows that uh, this this series, it, the the Queen is a great example of, in my view, of uh, of an Atlantis that has grown up and mm. is evolving and is becoming something more. You know? Yeah, I agree. Overall, I think that this was one of the best. Wraith episodes that the show has ever done and I think it was up there with the gift it was one of the best Taylor episodes that the show has ever done the small role that Rodney and Shepard and Ronan had to play I think was was perfectly fine it was totally in sync with what this episode was about and Todd kind of stepping out and not being quite so much our ally who's on the same team with us and is after the same things but our ally who is pretty definitely I think after different mm-hmm. things was mm-hmm. was a really cool growth for his character I thought, I thought it was a, a really nice episode the episode was well acted Chris Hyredall mopped up the floor uh, Rachel oh, Luttrell yeah. did you a great job to Chris Hyredall for this episode who plays Todd he's, 
he's so good, man. And he bounces he works so well with Rachel. You know, he he works so well with anyone that you put him with. Um the one of the things that I noticed that was really great was the the advancing look of the Wraith. You know, they they made them I don't know what they did to that set, but they made some real improvements to that set and the look of the episode was fantastic. It was fantastic. And it a just, lot more visual effects than I was expecting. We've had a lot of yeah. visual effects episodes in this these first uh first eight of the season. Well don't forget they got more money. <laughs> Yeah. So it was a it was a very successful episode all around, and uh, again, you know, I, every episode that comes out, I, I lament again. Why no season six? Season you know, five this has is, been great. I think it's been really. Strong. It has been in the past. There there is always that episode every two or three or four episodes where I just say, okay, well, that was another one, and I have no interest to go back and watch it when it comes out on DVD. Mm-hmm. Uh, or watch yeah. it again on, on my iTunes download. But this season, I, I want to watch these episodes again, especially the episodes like The Queen. I think they're just strong. They have really been good, man. And I am I am proud to be able to say that for this show, you know, because it's always hit and missed in the past for me in terms of which characters or, or story plots they're doing. But every one this year that I have seen, it, <laughs> this is coming from me, who is as cynical as they get, <laughs> has been and has been a great show. Well, if we get episodes like The Queen and The Shrine and the Daedalus Variations just sort of in the middle, you know, they always spend a lot of money and time and attention on the season premiere and the season finale and the mid-season two-parter. And these in between are, are sort of the, the everything else where the budget kind of mm-hmm. gets spread out. If we've seen episodes that are this good here in the in the in-between land with this much, uh, with these great visual effects, then... Man, I can only imagine what the mid-season two-parter is going to have for us. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be great. Listener mail. We've got a fair bit of listener mail regarding Taylor and her highlight episode, The Queen. Darren, who's our first? Uh, who's our first writer inner? Our first writer inner. We got another letter from Mac Jackson. He says, I think Taylor has been one of the most misused characters of the entire series. She was brought in as a warrior leader of her tribe, but other than training, we've hardly ever seen her use any handheld weapons in a fight. Worse than that is the fact that she was never written as being comfortable enough in conversations with anyone. Always very stiff, never letting her guard down, it got frustrating after a while. Also, the relationships they seemed to hint at, such as John and Ronan, never happened. Dimbo Sama. I was very disappointed with the Queen. I've been looking forward to this episode for about a month now, ever since I heard about the plot, and I thought it was a massive letdown. I was hoping at least Todd would try the therapy, or maybe have one of his underlings take it. But it was a very interesting Wraith culture episode, which we just don't see enough of compared to the gold stuff that they did. I also don't think they've used Rachel Luttrell as well as they could have throughout the whole show. She's a fantastic actress and has done some magnificent work through the whole span of the show. We have one more piece of mail that uh, I wanted to make sure to get in here and respond to. Our good friend Shirt and Tie writes, When the dust finally settles and Stargate Atlantis is no more, how about doing a series of podcast reviews of older episodes or seasons? I, for one, love to hear really great discussion with insightful reviews about episodes from bygone days. Just a thought. Shirt and Tie, I'm not sure about great or insightful, but uh, we can certainly flap our lips for a while. (laughs) Talking is not hard to do. Talking intelligently 
are. We probably won't dedicate any podcasts necessarily to individual episodes from past years, I would think. But um, I would love to do a, a podcast that's maybe based on a season, like talk about season one of Atlantis or, or season eight of SG-1. What do you think? Mm-hmm. I agree with that, yeah. Between the time that Atlantis goes off the air in January and Stargate Universe starts in the summer, we're definitely going to have lots and lots of podcasts that we're going to need topics for, so we're going to be counting on you guys to help come up with some ideas like this. Well, a little bit more housekeeping business before we get on to this week's listener question. We would love for those of you who listen to the podcast through iTunes, if you would leave us a review, just visit the GateWorld podcast page on iTunes and look for that write a review link. We've also had a couple of people ask us if there's a way that they can leave us a voicemail without calling a U.S.-based phone line if you're one of our listeners outside the U.S. And uh, until we can come up with a better solution, I think the best way to do that is to go ahead and, and record yourself leaving the voicemail on your computer and then save it as a WAV file or convert it to an MP3 and then just email it to us. We'd love to hear more voicemail from people outside the U.S. But if that's too much work and you do have a Skype account, put a few cents of credit on your Skype account, and uh, it's about two cents a minute to call the United States, uh, U.S. dollars, of course, and um, call the hotline that way. Yep, and shorter messages are more likely to get full play on the podcast, so hey, two cents. What a deal. Two cents is one minute, yes. Just throw in your two cents. Ha. Throw in your two cents. That's cute. Here's this week's listener question. We're getting ready for Tracker to air on Sci-Fi Channel on Friday, and Jennifer Keller is featured in that episode. So call in and tell us what you think of Atlantis's Doctor. Is Keller a realistic portrayal of an ordinary person who is facing extraordinary and frightening circumstances in the Pegasus Galaxy, or is she just a whiner? Call the Gate World Podcast hotline and let us know what you think of Jennifer Keller. That number is 616-712-1647. Coming up on the podcast, of course, we're talking about Tracker next week on September 23rd. And then it's time for the first half of the mid-season two-parter, First Contact, on the 30th. Stargate Atlantis will have a week off, so on our October 7th podcast, we're still looking for a topic. If you have any ideas, just post on the site or call the hotline. Thanks for joining David and me for this week's podcast. Again, we'd love to hear your feedback. Just call the hotline at area code 616-712-1647 or post on the podcast feedback thread over at GateWorld Forum. In this episode, we talked about Friday's new episode of Atlantis the Queen and previewed our interview with Gary Jones. For links to everything that we talked about today, look for the episode number 11 show notes. From GateWorld.net, this is Darren Sumner. And I'm David Reed. And you've been listening to the GateWorld Podcast. Podcast.